Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. We want to say welcome to Grace Point and welcome to our study that we're going through right now. We're talking about spiritual warfare and really trying to live in the victory of, oh, but God interrupting our life with His mercy, His grace, and His love as we've studied through the book of Ephesians. And we come to today, and I want to tell you about a guest speaker that we're having today. And this is like, uh, if you ask, Mike, if you want to have your top two or three, I'll say two or three, top guest speakers to come into Grace Point, who are they? Todd Aaron is in that in that list, in that short list of who I would have to come in and to share from God's Word about what God is doing, not only in his life, but also in the ministry that he's a part of. And he's on campuses around the nation, uh, speaking to college students, helping them find purpose and meaning and mission in life. And he's going to be coming and sharing with us today about the armor of God, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel and having that shield of faith in hand and advancing the gospel. What does that mean and look like? And so we just want to commit this day to to the Lord and ask that our hearts would be open to what that means for us in the world and the context in which we live. So let's just commit today to the Lord and let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for an opportunity that we can come and the Father, the snow, the ice, everything is kind of cleared away and that we can come together today, maybe maybe our first time out in a, in a week, and we can worship together. We can celebrate together. We can sing of your greatness and your love and your mercy and how you're but God interrupting our life with, with your love and mercy and grace. And, and then, but Father, it's not just for us. It's also that we would, we would put on the gospel. We would carry the gospel. We would advance the gospel with our shields in hand. And I pray that, Lord, you will just anoint the, the, the lips of, of Todd as he shares the word of God with us. And I pray that you would soften our hearts and give us ears to hear what you want to say to us today about advancing and living in victory. Father, we thank you for these moments. We commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I went to Tulsa to see my mom. Always a good thing. I get there. I prepare to leave. And she's like, hey, someone gave me this thermos do you want it? I'm like, man, I got like 16 of these at my house. But okay, I've got a 15-year-old daughter who collects random things. So I, I bring it home, give it to my daughter. She takes it downstairs. And she's like, dad, this works perfect. Like I take the thermos called the Stanley and I dip the old fish water into it, and then I carry it to the sink, and then I refill it with clean water, and I go back to the fish tank. She's like, it's perfect to clean out my fish tank. I don't care. I got so many of them. So 
I go to this conference in Dallas, and there's like thousands of college students, and I notice every other person has a Stanley. Like, they're different colors, but I was like, man. Matter of fact, from the stage, one of the main speakers tells a, a story about a Stanley. And I was like, I, got, I, I want my Stanley back. So I go back home, I go downstairs to my daughter's room, and of course I knock on the door, and I say, hey, hand me the Stanley. And she's like, dad, it works. I'm like, I want the Stanley. So she brings it out. It doesn't even, like, the straw is somewhere under her bed. Like, she doesn't even know where the straw is. She brings it out, hands it to me. I go upstairs. I'm sitting there. My daughter comes up, and she's like, I'm like, uh, I say, you know, do I really look cool with this gold Stanley? And she's like, Dad, it's not gold. And I said, it's gold. And she's like, it's red. And I'm like, this is, this is not red. This is gold. So my daughter Googles, because we have such a, a, a disagreement, and she Googles what color the Stanley is, and everything stops in the house. This is what I hear next from my daughter. Dad, that is called a lava. They only made 5,000 of them, and it sells for $250. I have a totally different paradigm of Stanley. I heart Stanley. Now I'm mad at my daughter. I'm like, you scuffed it on the fish rocks. I have a totally different understanding, therefore a totally different value, and no longer will I ever minimize my Stanley. And I thought about that, and I thought, man, I do the exact same thing with the gospel. I don't understand the gospel, therefore I don't value the gospel, therefore I minimize the gospel. If you were to ask me, what is the gospel? I would have probably said to you something like the message of Jesus. And if you'd have pressed further, what is that message? I I, I would have had a hard time unpacking it. Therefore, I didn't understand it, I didn't value it, and so that results in minimizing it. And maybe you have the same experience. If somewhere this week, someone were to to ask you, what is the gospel? What in your heart would you have said right now? Right now, how would you have, have defined the gospel? What would you have said? And what happens if you don't properly understand the gospel? You too will not value it, and you too will minimize it. And suddenly God becomes secondary to job and hobbies and sports and life. We're in a series on Ephesians. We're in chapter 6, and this morning we're going to specifically hone in on what's called the armor of God. Now, every time I, I look at a police officer, every time I come across one, I, always know, I, I find myself kind of staring. I'm like staring at everything that they have to wear. It's pretty incredible when you start looking like the pepper spray, the taser, the gun, the handcuffs, the flashlight, the body cam. They say it's 30 pounds of extra weight added to a police officer for wearing those things. Now, keep in mind, the series on Ephesians that we're in, Paul is writing this from a Roman prison. And as he's sitting there in this Roman prison preparing to write Ephesus, this church, 
He's looking at these guards. He's looking at these soldiers. And he's like, man, they, got a, they wear a ton. The helmet, the breastplate, the sword, the shield. And then he thinks, man, I, I can use this as an object lesson for the fledgling church in Ephesus. And so he writes about the armor of a soldier and connects it to the spiritual armor of the new believer. And so this morning, we're going to talk about two more aspects of the soldier's uniform as he connects it to our faith. We're going to talk about the shoes and the shield. Now, if you've been gone for a few weeks and aren't familiar with Ephesians 6 and the armor of God, let me read to you the context of where we're going. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, here's the full armor of God mentioned. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And put on a full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We talked about this three weeks ago, a whole series on what is the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. He's staring at the soldiers. He's riding this so that when the day of evil comes... You may stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, again, stand firm. We talked about that's the whole theme of this whole context. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about those two last week. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. So the part we're going to hone in on is the shoes and the shield. Let's just look back at that, verse 15 and 16. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Paul looks at two things. He looks at the shoes of the soldiers, and he connects that with the shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel. And then he looks at the shield of the soldier and he connects that with the faith of the believer. And so let's just start with the shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Again, if you have no context of like, what is the gospel? If you were stuck in a Starbucks and someone's like, what is the gospel? And you didn't know what to say, I would encourage you to remember four words. If you talk about these four words, you will not get too far off when it comes to the gospel. When you think of the gospel, think of four words, God, man, Jesus, response. Think of those four words, God, man, Jesus, and response. Let's just take some time and unpack each one of those. God, man, Jesus, and response. That is the core of the gospel. Let's talk about God. Let's talk about God, okay? Um, Let's start with God. When it comes to to who God is, the Bible is fairly clear that God is holy. Now, listen to Revelation 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You realize nowhere else in Scripture does, does the authors of Scripture refer to one characteristic of God three times in a row. You can't turn to Psalms and hear, Grace, grace, grace is the Lord God Almighty. You can't turn to Proverbs and hear, 
love, 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 wrath, wrath, wrath. Three times back to back is reserved only for holiness. Holy, holy, holy. What does it mean that God is holy? Well, what it means when God is holy is that he has never had a wrong thought, a wrong action, a wrong idea. He hasn't had a, he's, he's never done anything wrong. He is literally without error. But without error could also be said of the angels. The angels are without error. So for God, holiness is not just without error. It's without equal. And that's what Isaiah talks about. Isaiah 40, 25. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? So the first word of the gospel, God, holy, without error, and without equal. Second word, man, not without error, not without equal. I remember I got a call from the University of Texas. They were having this huge campus ministry-wide event, and all the campus ministers came together, and they said, we're going to create a custom grill with a longhorn on it, and we're going we're gonna to invite, we're going to take that grill on the back of a truck, and we're going to drive it from fraternity to fraternity, sorority to sorority. This was like a $5,000 grill, and, and, and they said, whoever has the most fraternity or sorority representatives gets this cooker. And they call me up. They're like, hey, we've got like this huge campus event. University of Texas, all the fraternity and sororities are going to be there, and we want you to come speak on the topic of do good people go to heaven? I was like, man, I got zero going on. I might as well. So I fly to Austin. I land at Austin Bergenstein Airport. I take an Uber to uh, uh, University of Texas. I go into the student union. There's already a line around the building for this event. I walk in. I meet the host of the event. They take me backstage. They say, hey, we'll come get you when it's like 15 minutes. 15 minutes from the event, they come backstage. They're like, we don't know what's going on. We are out of capacity. The auditorium's full. They're bringing in chairs. We're going to have to delay. I peek out. I peek out. I peek out. And I see just all these people. And my first thought is, I should have prepped. They say, ladies and gentlemen, introducing Todd Aaron, I come out on stage. I'm like, hey, congratulations, Fidel's on winning the cooker. I said, hey, listen, I know tonight you got a lot going on. You got intramurals, a function, and a t-shirt to make. I said, listen, I want to just be real quick right now. I'm going to tell you something real quick. As you go back to your story of fraternity, just type this sentence in your phone. This is all I want you to remember. This is all we're going to talk about. Here it is. Are you ready? Here it is. Good people go to heaven. Good people go to heaven. And then behind me, in 90 font, I put up Romans 3.10. For there is no one good, not even one. And someone yelled out, I don't know who Roman is, but I disagree. See, the question is that we're concerned with is not do good people go to heaven, because that's not us. We're not good. We think we're good because we compare ourselves to other not good people. So in high school, I thought I was good because I compared myself to Joey. What did Joey do? Joey flipped off cops. I don't flip off cops. I'm better than Joey. I must be good. But listen to what the Bible says. Keep reading. It does not describe us as good. There is no one good, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then like he used the soldier's armor, he uses our bodies. 
Their throats are open graves. What does that mean? Their throats are open graves. Go to a cemetery, dig up a, a casket, push the lid back and smell. That's how God describes us. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Keep reading. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet, our mouths, our feet, our throat, are quick to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark our paths. The peace of God they do not know. There is no fear of God before our eyes. Romans 3 is a mirror for you and I. Romans 3 is a mirror for you and I. But I minimize sin. If someone were to say to me, Todd, what is sin? I'd be like, man, you know, like driving down 49, you're kind of dozing off on the, on, on the Spotify music. All of a sudden, you look behind you, you got lights, you pull over. A cop approaches the window, says, hey, you were going 82 and a 75. I'm going to issue you a ticket. I'm like, oh, man, I kind of was aware of that. I didn't know it. I pay the fine, and I go about my day. That, that's not sin. Sin is you are literally at war with God in your thoughts and actions, and you don't even realize it fully. We are aligned with the enemy And we are on the side of the evil one. Everything we do is counter to assault God. We have literally aligned our life with the enemy. So, you know, when some people hear that, they're like, oh, I just need to do better. I need to, like, pray more, read the Bible more, wear deodorant. Like, I I just need to step it up a notch, new year, new me. But the problem is that that makes you look like you're lost, and need to be found, but you're not lost and need to be found. You're dead and need to be made alive. See, I didn't know there was a difference between like lost and dead. Let me tell you the difference between lost and dead. Here's the difference between lost and dead. Here's lost. Here's lost. Lost is an ocean. As far as you can see is water, and you are treading water in the middle of the ocean. You have no hope and, and, and you're treading water. You've been treading water for like 12 hours. And the only reason you're still treading water is you don't want to die single. And so you're like, I got to make it. I got to make it. And all of a sudden, just before you give up, you look on the horizon and there's a boat approaching. And you're like, save me, save me. The captain sees you, buzzes the horn twice, circles you, throws a life vest. It lands perfectly over you. He pulls you to the boat. You're laying in the bottom of the boat. Push the life preserver off, and around it, it says, Jesus. You smile, think happy thoughts as you're on your way back to the shore. That's lost. That's not us. We're dead. Difference between lost and dead? Here's dead. Same ocean, except you're not treading water. You're a mile and a half deep, chained to a rock, and you've been chained to that rock for the past 35 years. You have fungus around you, fish eating you, and there is no hope. That is how Ephesians describes us. Just before you get to the armor of God, he wants you to be crystal clear. Ephesians 2.2, you are dead in your sins. You're not treading water. Dead don't tread, okay? Dead don't tread. You're not treading water. You are dead. It's not that you are good and need to become better. You are dead and need to be made alive. That's the difference. And so 
When you think about the gospel, you think about God, holy, without error, without equal. Man, dead, with error, with equal. Third word, third word of the gospel, Jesus. He takes on the object that he is saving. He becomes a human, okay? He lives, he dies, and he raises again. The great exchange, look at this, 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, that's us, so that in him might be, become the righteousness of God. He was born, he lived, he died, he rose again, and now we have access to the Father. We talked about this last week, 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's us. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, he was made alive in the spirit. However, it's not enough that that historical event happened in 33 AD. It's not enough that that historical event happened in 33 AD. The fourth word of the gospel, God, man, Jesus, response. I have to respond. How do I respond? I confess I'm on the side of the enemy. Everything I do is at war with you, God, and I repent. That means turn sides. I repent from that side, and I place my faith in you. That's the final of the four words. We have to respond. Repent literally means to change directions. The first words of Jesus when he begins his ministry in Mark, listen to what he says to people. He says this in Mark 1.15, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe God, man, Jesus, response. Repent and believe God, man, Jesus, response. I need to confess. I'm on, this, I'm on the side of the enemy. I want to repent and turn, and I have faith in order to do that. When you understand the gospel, you begin to value the gospel. When you understand the gospel, you, you, you have a totally different understanding and you begin to value the gospel. Three years before Paul wrote Ephesians, he wrote Romans. And in Romans, he puts all four words, God, man, Jesus, response in one verse. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we, man, have been justified by faith, response, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Uh, I was in Austin uh, a few weeks ago, and I, I saw my friend, Steve Richardson. I haven't seen him for like three years. Steve Richardson is president of Pioneers Mission Agency. He is... Um, he, and we were at this event together, and I saw him, and I was like, Steve, Steve, and he comes over. Meanwhile, I've got like six young adults in their early 20s, like around me, and I, every time I see Steve, I kind of do the same thing. I'm like, Steve, tell them about your dad. And he's like, really? And I was like, yes, tell them about your dad. And so Steve gathers these like six young adults around him. And I just, I just take two steps back, and I just watch. He says, well, when I was one, my mother and father 
decided to move to Papua New Guinea to reach an unreached people group. And they chose the Sawi peoples who are cannibalistic and murderers. My family lives among them, is actually welcomed by them. And for five years, we learn the language, translate portions of the New Testament, and are desperately trying to get the scriptures and the gospel to them. But we had no hope. There was no believers, no response. And then, one morning when I was five, I woke up to a noise I'd never experienced. It was the war cry. A neighboring enemy tribe five kilometers away had machetes in hand and were coming to kill our entire tribe. Our tribe, the Sawi, get their machetes, get their weaponry, and all of a sudden they get in their canoes and a, and a battle is getting ready to start. When something in their culture we had no idea existed happened. The enemy tribe came and there was a custom that if a father of a newborn baby was willing in the enemy tribe to give that baby to the other tribe to raise and to protect, as long as that newborn baby in the other tribe now was alive and protected, there would always be peace. My friend Steve was five years old when he watched the enemy tribe give this child to the other tribe. His father said, oh my gosh, this is what we've been waiting for. As the father is at war with humanity and offers up his son, He called it the peace child. He called it the peace child. Paul calls the gospel the gospel of peace. Look at this. He says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Why does he refer to it from the gospel of peace? Because now we are no longer enemies. We are no longer at war. If... If someone says to you, you have peace with God, there is nothing greater that can be spoken over you than that. If someone says to you, you now have peace with God, that is the greatest thing to be spoken over you. And look at what it says. Keep reading. In Ephesians 6.15, it says, in light of this peace, in light of the God, man, Jesus responds, we need to be ready. We need to be ready with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. Paul says, I want you to be ready. When we show, we show we value the gospel when we share the gospel. We show we value the gospel when we share the gospel. This isn't a, I wait for people to initiate with me. They're not gonna, they're not gonna do that. You have to initiate. You have to find areas in life. That, that you, can, you can just initiate with. And I have, found, I have found what is the best, most effective way of initiating is just asking. Asking. Would you consider yourself a spiritual person? I mean, you just ask, okay? I, 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 I've been working out at this gym. I know a lot of you guys could tell. And uh, uh, I've been there for like a year. I always see this yoked guy, okay? He's so yoked. And, and I'm like, I want to be yoked like that. 
And so I, after a year, I get the nerve to approach him, okay? I mean, and I just start talking to him. I'm like, hey, you know, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I do this, this, and this. And I just said, would you consider yourself spiritual? And he's like, kind of. And I said, are you interested in, in learning about who Jesus is? And he says, sure. And I said, okay, let's work out for an hour once a week, and then we'll go to a coffee shop, and I'll teach you the Bible for once a week. Like, we've been doing that for months. All be, You just got to initiate. They're not going to... He would never initiate with me. I waited a year. It didn't happen. Okay, I wish I would have done quicker. You got to be faster. You got to be faster. We show we value the gospel when we share the gospel, okay? Paul, under arrest... He's under arrest. He looks over at this soldier. He's looking at their shoe. He's like, man, their shoe made of leather, open toe, double strap, tied at the shin and at the ankle. But what's so interesting about the Roman soldier's shoe is they take little nails and they hammer it through the the, the sole sticking out the other side so they can go on any terrain at any time at anywhere and do anything. They are ready because of those nails like cleats sticking out the bottom. Man, that reminds me of how the believer needs to be ready to go anywhere at any time and do anything for Jesus. Why does he say that? He remembers Isaiah, Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of him who bring good news. He's like, I'm going to use the soldier's shoe to challenge every believer to have the readiness of the gospel to share Mark 16, 15, the last command of Christ. We looked at the first command, the first words, repent and receive the gospel. Listen to the last command of believers, Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach God, man, Jesus' response to the whole creation. The gospel came to you because it's on its way to someone else. The gospel came to you because it's on its way to someone else. Are we interested and passionate about seeing the gospel go to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation? Or do we not understand it so we don't value it, so we decide to minimize it? Do we understand the gospel? Do we value the gospel? And do we have a passion to share the gospel? You know, the gospel is not just something you do when you get saved and then move on to deeper teachings. We never graduate from the gospel. Matter of fact, pastor and author J.D. Greer has this phenomenal quote. The gospel is not just the diving board off of which we jump into the pool of Christianity. It's the pool itself. Growth in Christ is never going beyond the gospel, but going deeper into who is God, who is man, who is Christ, And how does this affect my response? We've seen the shoes fitted with the readiness. Now let's look at the shield. Ephesians 6, 15 and 16, our key verse this morning. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to those shoes, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Paul, in prison, in Rome, looks and says, man... The shield, they always have it with them. It's four foot high. It's two foot wide. It's crafted to perfection, made mostly of wood, overlain with animal hide, soaked for hours in water 
so that when the enemy with their metal tip arrows dip them in tar and light it on fire and shoot it at the soldiers, the shield is able to extinguish the flaming arrows. And Paul says, man, I want to use, this is a perfect example of how the evil one, once you have received the gospel, will bombard you with flaming arrows. The evil one, Satan, the devil, the accuser, the father of lies. And Paul says, man, you have to lift that shield of faith and think about the gospel. When you lift, when, when circumstances come, you lift the shield of faith and you think, man, look at what, I'm going through this, but look at what God did for me by sending his son and giving me peace with him. I can get through anything. We lift the shield by remembering the gospel and the goodness of God. Now, sometimes the flaming arrows of the evil one, they come in the form of circumstances. Sometimes they come in the form of circumstances, okay? You think of Job in the Old Testament. He got bombarded with circumstances, his, the, 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 the tragedy of his children dying, his wife basically abandoning him, his friends refusing to associate with him, losing most and, and then all of his wealth, his reputation gone. There are aspects of Job's life that everyone in this room can, 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 can identify with. Sometimes the flaming arrows are circumstances. Sometimes the flaming arrows are lies and accusations. Sometimes they're just lies and accusations. Here's a few. God never answers your prayers. Flaming arrow. You have no contribution. Flaming arrow. The Bible's confusing and can't be trusted. Flaming arrow. You'll always struggle with this sin. Flaming arrow. Arrow. For some of us, the flaming arrows are here this morning. And you've been thinking about them since you pulled into the parking lot. For some of us, they're coming very, very soon. How do we respond? We remember the gospel. Man, God is more for me than I am for myself. There is no circumstance or accusation or lie that I can't get through. As I remember the gospel, I lift the shield of faith. Listen to Job lifting the shield of faith. Job 19, here's what he says. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet all my flesh I will see God. He lifts that shield of faith. We have friends who over Christmas, their seven-week-old daughter, they went to Children's in Little Rock. She got pneumonia, was put on a ventilator, was very close to death. And while many of us were around the fire opening presents and laughing with our friends, they were in Children's wondering if they were going to bury their daughter. And my wife, my wife called right in the middle, the flaming arrows, the flaming arrows were coming of, does God care for this mom? And, and my wife called the mom, and my, my wife said, well, how are you doing? And she said, man, I have been walking the halls of this hospital asking God who he wants me to share the gospel with. I know he's brought me here for a purpose. And so, that was her response. Shield of faith, shoes with the gospel. She said to my wife, God never promised me motherhood. 
That's the shoes of the gospel and the shield of faith. I think of just this past month, friends that I've talked to and what they're going through. I mean, I was with my friend and he's like, I'm freaking out. And I'm like, why? He's like, well, my, my, my daughter is getting serious about this boy. They're going to get engaged and he's not a Christ follower. And I said, well, have you shared the gospel with them? And he's like, man, I, I don't want to because my daughter's going to freak out and be mad. The flaming arrow of people pleasing is upon him. We got to have shoes on and shield up. Another friend, my wife's discipling a girl at University of Arkansas. She wants to go on a mission trip this summer. She goes back to her mom. She says, I'm going overseas this summer. Her mom just, just heaps on her mom guilt. You've been gone all year. Now you're going to leave for the summer. I never see you. Man, the flaming arrow of parental disappointment is on her. Shoes on, shield up. Another friend of mine, their boss, they love their job, but their boss is just so, so condescending. He's like, man, I don't even know if I can handle it. The flaming arrows of being degraded constantly, shoes on, shield up. My wife talked to a girl the other day. She's like, man, I used to be so important. I used to be such a corporate woman, high up, commanding boardrooms. Now with my second child, I'm at home, wiping noses and in diapers. The, the flaming arrows of her identity are upon her. Shoes on, shield up. My friend, lunch last week, he said, man, my, 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 my friend, he's like, lunch like he's like, man, my son has just made countless and countless and countless of mistakes. He's now addicted. Our home life is unbearable. I don't think I can handle this. The flaming arrows of God won't help are coming at him. Shoes on, shield up. Shoes on, shield up. William Carey was born in 1761. 1761, he he gets uh, converted. He hears the gospel at a prayer meeting at age 17, and um, he becomes a Christ follower. Eventually, he becomes a Baptist pastor, and through that, begins to just consume himself with the Bible. He reads Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and he sees all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And he realizes, man, when I look in England at the docks, I see all these ships leaving England for India, and on them are teas and spices. But no one is taking the gospel. And then he does the unthinkable. He does the unthinkable. William Carey loads up his four kids and his wife, Dorothy, and they take the five-month, 10-day journey to India. And as soon as they get to India, flaming arrows begin. Their their five-year-old son, Peter, dies. Dorothy goes mentally insane. No converts for the first seven years of his ministry. When he finally baptizes Krishna Pal in the Ganges River in year seven, he looks on one side of the Ganges River and his wife's in, ha- in, a, in a straight jacket, mentally insane, and his co-partners on the other side of the river in handcuffs for embezzling all the money that William Carey made. Most of his work was burned up in a fire, and then in year 14, he buried his wife. And here's what he says as those flaming arrows are coming. All my friends are but one, but he is all sufficient. 
All my friends are but one, but he is all for, for sufficient. Carrie had the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. He had the shield of faith, everyday faithful. By the time he died, he had translated scripture into the language of 300 million people. 41 years of ministry in India, never returned home, died at 73. And just before he died, he said this, I want my funeral to be as plain as possible. I want the following inscription and nothing more cut on the stone which commemorates me. A wretched, poor, and helpless worm on thy kind arms I fall. Shoes on, shield up. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.